there came a point where I, I had to say, you know, I just had to say, you have done well, good servant. You have made 25 years of amends and done 20 something years of recovery and therapy. And at what point are you going to stop trying to earn it? So um, I plan to coast on off the planet, say 25, 30 or 40 years from now, having fully integrated my sexual blind spot. Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres dominant, social, sexual blind, three wing two, with three seven one trifix and ENFP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Hello, friends. Welcome back. And today I am excited because we have the second part of the episode with Chris, where we really dive into how we work out what her instinctual stack is. It was great to work with Chris because while she knew that she's an eight for her Enneagram type, she really hasn't done work with the instinctual drive. So we were presenting the information to her in a fresh way. And I think that this will be good for listeners who also would appreciate a summary of what is it that we're meaning when we talk about self-preservation instinct, social instinct, sexual instinct, and how are we experiencing this term, the blind spot. So I hope you enjoy a live typing interview, and we will also hear how I sort of work through in my mind imagining what type Chris's mother might be. So for people that are on a typing journey, perhaps that will be helpful as well. The other part of this episode that I think is really interesting is that we got into a conversation with the way that Chris is using marijuana and psilocybin as part of her healing journey from her life of serious trauma. And I think that it is really interesting to look at how different people respond to different substances. So I hope that you find this conversation interesting and a real support as you navigate your own way to your own instinctual stack. So let me tell you my understanding of the instincts. And I actually have an amazing graphic that came from Deborah Uten and Russ Hudson. I'm familiar. Are you curious? Are you, do you know any of those teachers? Well, Hudson is half a Rizzo Hudson, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. So we've got Russ Hudson and Deborah Uten, who I'm taking this from. John Lukovich has also done a lot of work in the instincts. So there are these three instinctual domains, and I'm going to summarize them. There's okay. self-preservation, or sometimes it's called conserving. There's sexual, and sometimes it's called transmitting or one-to-one. Mm-hmm. And there's social, and that's sometimes called navigating. So... When your self-preservation instinct is primarily worried about time, money, and energy, because these are our resources as humans, and it's the engine for survival, and this is the root of the other instincts. So in order to have a healthy self-preservation instinct, we have to have some capacity to have discipline and to conserve our energy so that it can manifest in our body. And it's also where we get our physical sensations of hunger, warmth, fatigue, and it's about stability, groundedness, softness. And so when we're healthy, we take care of ourselves. We have a sense of well-being in physical comfort. We maintain our foundations and have adequate resources. And we have some form of stable domesticity, home, and security. So as I just named the self-preservation instinct, would you say that that's something you do naturally? That's something that's been hard or somewhere in the middle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it, There's a great deal of complexity with that, especially with somebody with a trauma background. Of course. Okay, well, let's pause then. I'm just going let, to let it sit in your belly center while I name the other two. Okay. Cause it might become I, more clear. So when I, one of the things that blew me open to being an eight yeah. when Aaron did this work with me was I had been in contact with the next sister up who's nine years older than me. And I asked her to describe me as a child. Yeah. And the description I got back was not my experience of myself as a child. Sure. And okay. so I was like, Missy. Yeah. Okay. Let me give you an example of something she said. She said, well, Tony did something to you. Yeah. 
that that's the brother he died of a drug overdose two years older than the so he was 11 years older than me also a perpetrator sociopath blah 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 mm-hmm. anyway he did something on the way to one of my sister's weddings mm-hmm. and i couldn't get to him to retaliate so i bit my sister who was sitting next to me okay yeah and she's like i still have the scar chris yeah <laughs> So you had to like release that energy and you it couldn't direct it at the perpetrator. It was here that I was that, that I had that vengeance in me because I felt so broken as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then she said, you are, well, and okay. So I'm going to tell you the truth. I've been, and I don't talk about this. So please cut it out. I, okay. Like, I have been told I am the smartest person somebody has ever met more times than I can count. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird kind of smartness. Mm-hmm. Um, I can cross paradigms with thought and make patterns. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. But one of the, what Missy said, my sister, she said, you are the single most curious person I have ever met. You will not stop until mm-hmm. you have an answer that satisfies you. Mm-hmm. And it got you into all manner of trouble. Mm-hmm. And it was your insistence on following your own lead. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm... I'm curious. Now you want this cut out because it feels a little arrogant to be yes, here I'm that. Not, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well, we're going to talk about social instinct now. Okay. So yeah. the social instinct is the drive to reach out, relate, know each other and stay engaged. It's the link between the instinctual self and the emotional self that is to do with the social implications of our drives. So in social, yeah. That's a high, 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 yes. Okay. So in social, it's easier to recognize what we do and don't do with our sexual energy. So when we enter a room, like social is just going to kind of notice and know what's going on and is often attracted to power and prestige. So I'm going to talk about the distorted dominant for a minute, because when people are social dominant, but it's also creating some issues for them. They are concerned with public image, prestige, grandiosity, and they sort of are aware that sort of 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 who has the social clout in this group. Now, if you're social blind, I'm talking about sort of the distorted dominant and also the blind. So the blind What happens is that you either tend towards inferiority or arrogance, or you go in between the two. You have a sense of alienation or not fitting in. You might be accused of having bad manners. You might lack accountability. You might actually have aversion to groups or teams. You have cynicism, contempt for norms, and you actually can lack healthy self-promotion ability. And when not healthy, there can be a lack of reciprocity. So my antenna went up thinking that, oh, social instinct could be blind and she's pulling it in from the blind spot because I'm hearing you do these social things actually incredibly well, but I'm still sensing that you like it's uncomfortable to self-promote or to actually say what's awesome about yourself publicly. Did I pick up on that? I'm learning that um, anew. So recall that I had to do all that 20 years with the therapeutic work yep. and some of that got undone. And so I'm re I'm relearning myself from a more nuanced yeah. um from a more nuanced place. And I would say that the last two years have categorized an ex- existential dark night of the soul. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So what I know about what you said is in in regressed versions of me, that yeah. would be an apt description. Perfect, because we're talking to the healthier version of you. So when we're looking at the instinctual stack, I'm picturing that little kid who in that moment was experiencing rage and disgust and so acted out by biting their sister because they didn't have a socially appropriate way to express that in that childlike form. So as you've gone through recovery and growth, it sounds like you're actually pretty good at that now. Whatever our blind spot is, is actually what tends to become our superpower when we do healing and call it in. I always use that with, with when I do spiritual counseling, you're like, let me tell you something. I've broken both arms. I'll never break those arms in the same place because yeah. the, I can still feel yeah. the calcium knit over the yeah. old 
weakness. Well, and the fact is you're now a minister or you, that's where you spent a lot of time. You ran a church, like that is a very social dominant kind of role. And yet you may have come into that. If it's your blind spot, that's also why it could be exhausting because you are having to use so much energy to navigate a blind spot. Your understanding and bringing in a perspective that's outside of my sub, like my realm of understanding, but I'm vibing with it. Okay. The way I've always explained it and have come to explain it is, look, when I was a child, to be seen was to be hurt. Yeah. It when I, when I took homiletics, which is learn to give a talk. Yeah. I dropped. I had. I looked. I made it five minutes into the first class. Yeah. Picked up my books and left. I had there to do go. it as an independent study three years later yeah. after three years of being a platform assistant yeah. so that I could get over the feeling that someone was going to get me. Absolutely. And that is classic eight neuroticism. Like, I, like I'm not too. safe. Right. Well, and of course, and may, a lot of, I mean, the yeah. reality of my childhood was I wasn't safe. Right. And when I say classic eight, you're right. I'm so glad you said that's trauma because almost any type can have that sensation. But I'm hearing more about like your reaction to trauma that is going along with type structure. I think what happens is you have the eight tendency and trauma on top of it and they just weave in a very self-protective way. Well, in most, I mean, we all have trauma. That's why we have our type. And, you know, when we look at eights, you know, that is so much, I mean, Eights can be brutal, but that's typically because they experienced brutality. And so what the eight does is goes to that really tender, vulnerable heart that they have. And we all know that eights have some of the biggest hearts on the planet. I mean, Martin Luther King was an eight, you know, like we have, yeah, yeah, um, we, they just have such big hearts. So uh, yeah, yeah. So the, the place for that for me is that it's like, let's say I'm turning 57, which I am. Let's say I just had a midlife crisis four years late uh-huh. or a midlife reorientation. Yeah. And the question became, who the fuck are you and what do you want? You're on a spinning planet. You're going to die in 25. Right. Is this all you wanted? Uh, okay. So this leads me to sexual. Now I'm going to do the sexual instinct. Okay. Cause you are just like a plant just leading me through this podcast. Can I talk about the sexual instinct and you, you can, can and that? I will tell you, I think our ding, ding, ding is this. I remember reading a question and maybe this is not a right question, but I'll tell you what it is and what conclusion I came to. Yeah. The differentiating between the social and when I read about it, it was said sexual, but I've seen yeah. it called those other things. Right. Like I closed my, like it said, imagine going into a room mm-hmm. of, you know, whatever number of people you're comfortable with. Yep. You know, it wasn't a large party. It wasn't, you got to self-define. Yeah. Like, what are you grokking? These yep. are my words. Yeah. What am I grokking? I don't care. I already know who has the power. Okay. I don't have to, I don't have to notice that shit. And I'm going to tell you something else. The yep. person in the room with the most power is always me. As far as I'm <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Like, it's like, motherfuckers, you can't hurt me anymore. So what so are you I'm noticing? With that. What are you what noticing? What I'm looking for is the most interesting person, the most okay. fascinating, the most unusual, okay. the person who looks like they have a story, who yeah. might be a secret hero yeah. that we don't know about. And that very much aligns with me theologically. There is a concept in Judaism yeah. of the Lamed Vavnik. Do you know it? No, please tell me. That there are 30 some odd people who are good enough to assure the continuation of the world, but wow. nobody knows who they are, not even themselves. Wow. That's so awesome. like everyone you encounter, big giant asshole or absolute saint could on the inside be a Lamed Vavnik. I love that. That's really yeah. exciting. That makes me kind of shiver a little bit. So let me talk about sexual because that's what you're talking about. I so, think that's what yeah. I am. So like, as I'm hearing you talk, well, we're going to unpack this, but let's just summarize sexual. So okay. sexual instinctual energy is what drives the engine of evolution. It's what fuels the desire to grow and go beyond ourselves so that we can eventually connect. It is the recognition that no one is responsible for me, but me. Sexual is about spending energy, the energy of creation and giving myself wholeheartedly. So when we're healthy, 
It's about attraction and attracting others. It's about exploration and edge. And it's about merging. And it includes chemistry, bonding, intensity, intimate communion, spirituality, sexuality and desirability, renewal, transmission, vitality, connection with the unconscious, spontaneity, mystical states, promotion, sizzle, inspiring, and influencing. How's that landing with you? Boom, baby, you're in my neighborhood now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the way I'm going to unpack this is that it sounds like you're a sexual eight, okay? And and I'm just going to tell you also, like, just because you're dominant doesn't mean you're always good at these things. So people who um, are sexual dominant still may have a preoccupation with attachment issues. They have boundary issues. They may distort reality. They have some aggressive drives. They can be intensely competitive and experience envy. They have fears of abandonment. They can Mm -hmm. be controlling or dominating. They can be very oriented towards themselves. They get issues around dependency. They Mm -hmm. may compulsively seduce. They can be Mm -hmm. impulsive and they almost have an addiction to intensity and charge. So you double that down on the point eight structure. Um, Sometimes sexual dominant people are misattuned to the more subtle interpersonal dynamics. So, you know, you can be sexual dominant. That's not not true for me. It's just not. Yeah. None of it. So I would add part of that. This is a weird thing and you can explain it however you like. I don't know when someone is flirting with me. It has Ah. to hit me so hard. Interesting. Now, do that you know I'm when like, you're? Oh shit! I think, and then I'm. I, I am that person who will say then, and that moment. Are you? F- was that flirting? Okay, let's I flip mean, it. Let's flip it. Do you know when you're attracted to somebody? Do you like just feel it? Like, like you walk in and you're like, that's who I want to be with in a sexual way, like in a in a a chemical attraction. Not until the last eighteen months. Okay. This so now, is a point of, if it's really true that the entire spiritual path is about the discovery and delivery of the authentic self, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is my edge learning right now. Okay, so we're flipping like, you. I'm having You're... the best fuck. I mean, I, I'm in love with a two who is gorgeous in every single way. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she's got like, she's got like the generosity. She's a, you know, she's gifted in so many ways. That's awesome. And we're, like our connection is healing each other yeah. at this point. And she's about to turn 40, Yeah, but I'm so developmentally behind. It feels like we're peers to me. So, <laughs> you know? okay. I'm flipping it now. You're okay. actually probably but, sexual blind. Okay. And you're, yeah. you're sexual blind and you're integrating the blind spot. And this is the zone that you are living in now yeah, because that's again, what's binding. Like the sexual blind has a secondary factor, which was sexual trauma very young. Absolutely. And so one of the downsides of that friend is that you can't sense danger until you learn. Got it. Yes. You know, you keep perpetual. I mean, I had many, many abusers. Why? Because I didn't understand and know how to keep myself safe. You weren't even picking up on the sexual energy that was there until it was too late. Wouldn't pick up, didn't pick them up. Okay. Because I lived, my first perpetrator, I lived in a house with. Okay. Right. So I like, there is a constant threat. He's also, I mean, I'm antisocial. He was before he died. Antisocial personality, you know, complete with lighting fields on fire as a child and drowning animals. Okay. I, I'm yeah. not using like these as like I get you know, pop culture words. Yeah. I'm saying this is a diag- like this is a diagnostic certainty. Okay. And I lived with that every moment of my life for the that first sounds 70 years. It's yeah. like living in a war zone. Yeah. Like the trauma's perpetuating itself. Totally. Yeah. And I had a 10-year-old, I had a brother 18 months younger that I got in my head I was supposed to protect from him, my other brother, and I never could protect that child. Yeah. So that set up a pattern as an eight of needing, I will kill Yeah. someone who causes the loss of innocence in a child. Or I wouldn't because my God brain would catch up with me, yeah. but to not do it would take every bit yes. of restraint. Yeah. So I am going to, I am going to go out on a limb and say that I suspect that you are social dominant, self-presmittal, 
and sexual blind. And the reason that I think that Okay, you is, say those again. Say them, yeah. say them again because I don't really have meaning for them yet. Right. That'll come later when I have time to look them up. So Absolutely. You- well, and I'm just going to name that I don't think that there is a ton of great writing about the instincts out there right now. I personally think that John Lukovich's book, The Instinctual Drives in the Enneagram, has mm-hmm. the best explanation of these. And I think that there, Russ Hudson does some amazing teachings on it as well. So what I'm speaking to is mostly coming from those sources. So there may be conflicting information. I'm not saying that I'm right and the other information is well, wrong. No, no, and that's not how I'm going to approach right. this. You're right. going to give me something. I'm going to have enough right. to actually try it on. And Absolutely. Go, okay. What would yeah. that feel like? You know what I mean? So it's this embodied, the yep. need to embody and try it on yep. before I can repattern. So, so I'm going to do I, what I... I'm going to do what I do as an internal medicine doctor is that somebody comes to me with a constellation of physical symptoms and I tell them what I think the disease process may be that they're working with. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just looking at what you've told me and now I'm going to say what my intuition is telling me may be true for you is that yeah. you may not when that whole thing, like when I walk into the room, who's the most powerful, important person here? And you made the comment. I don't ever do that because A, I would know, and B, it's usually me, okay? The fact that you know that it's you, though, (laughs) is a social dominant thing. Like, you are aware of the social hierarchy without even having to think about it. It's like the water you swim in. It's like the air you breathe. Until I started this Enneagram thing, I didn't know that. I thought I was like... But you were doing it without knowing it. You were still the most powerful person. I'll buy that for a dollar. I'll buy that for a dollar. Buy that for a dollar. Cool. And then when I was reading the self-preservation, stuff, I watched you kind of go, yes and no. And that's often the middle. It's not the dominant thing that creates charge. And it's not the blind spot, which creates charge. It's the one that you're like, yes and no. Because remember, we all have all the instincts. It's just that, you know, they're They're stacked. Well, well, some people say they're stacked. Deborah actually believes that They're all there, but they fire with different uh, frequencies. So some of the, yeah, and I kind of am liking that idea. So I'm working that out with Deborah right now, but she hasn't written about it yet. So that's why I'm just saying for listeners, probably have to do schedule a consultation with Deborah. She's really brilliant about this stuff too. Deborah Uten, I'll put her in the show notes. But the way that I would think about it, is that your self-preservation is obviously there and you're working with it all the time. But I heard the most charge, the most joy, the most trauma around both social and sexual, which means one is dominant, one is blind. And when I talked about these like distorted things, it just sounds like you're experiencing so much joy from the integration of the sexual instinct at this moment in time that that's why you're able to love and connect and experience pleasure and create this transcendent experience because you've pulled in something that you used to not have access to. So how's yeah. that landing? That, that that works really well. The spiritual image that I've been working with this whole transformational period is a mandorla. Do you know mm-hmm. what a mandorla is? No. Not a mandala, which is a oftentimes a Tibetan yeah. sand drawing of a certain, you know, a round thing. Yeah. That's a mandala. A mandorla is also called a vesica Pisces. It is the integration of opposites to produce a new thing. Yes, that's it the sexual a, instinct. It is a deeply uh, spiritual concept. You'll see the Madonna and child as a representation of that in, in yes. Christianity. You see the actual mandorla shape in Celtic uh, yeah. spirituality. Yes. You see it in Jungian psychology. So yes. um, the best place to read about it is in a book by Robert Johnson called Owning Your Own Shadow. I love that. What do you know it's, about the law of three? If I say the law of three, what does that mean to you? Uh, sounds um, Kabbalian. Is so, it? so in the Enneagram, there's a triangle in the mm-hmm. middle of the circle. And Many points, of them, right? Well, there's you. Well, so you can Many overlay triangles. lots of triangles, but okay. the one you can see yes. is the one that connects three, six, and nine. Mm-hmm. Okay, and mm-hmm. the law of three basically says that there's an affirming force. 
there's a denying force and there's a reconciling force. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we're in affirming and denying, that's dualism. That's when it's either this or it's that. Or that. And this is where people get stuck. Yes. And then when we can bring in the third force, which really, you know, is when we open ourselves up to grace and to, you know, higher knowing and to these higher states of consciousness and the higher states of the heart, body and mind. Mm -hmm. This is where we can actually integrate and allow it all to be unified and true because yeah. there's some truth in everything. Here's something that's really interesting when you began talking about that. The place that my mind went to is um, Bowini and family systems therapy. Okay. And that how a triangle is, is a stable base. Yes. Right? And yes. so in terms of family dynamics, you have, people call it triangulation now, but it's triangling is what he called it. And it's uh -huh. really the, the attempt, a very evolutionary attempt to shore up support. 100%. But it deeply psychologically impacts us. And then you get into the whole individuation differentiation and how that destabilizes the triangle at growth periods. Yes. Um, because one person is no longer playing the role. Right. You now, let I mean? me let so, me add something to this, because I love the triangle that we're on and we are talking about the exact same thing I am. So when you look at that triangle and now I'm pulling in some of the work of David Gray. So the point six. And you can only get to David Gray's work if you subscribe to his Patreon page. He's writing a book, but it's not going to be out anytime soon. So what he says is that the self-preservation instinct is embodied by the point six energy because it's about can safety you, and can security. Can you tell me what point... So you actually mean this, the number six on the Enneagram. Exactly, which okay. is called the loyal skeptic is like the nickname. I or the loyalist. love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the six um, embodies self-preservation energy. The three embodies social energy because it's about see me and, you know, the, the you can't right. be seen if you don't have a society to see you. Right. And then the nine embodies the sexual energy. Gotcha. Okay. So we have all three in those points. So yeah. it requires the embodiment of a healthy self-pres, a healthy social, and a healthy sexual in order to be a full complement. Now, not yes. everybody's an attachment type. Like I said, I'm either a three or a six. So I'm pulling in my nine energy to bring me my stability to the triangle. I also happen to be sexual blind. So I'm also integrating my blind spot to be able to do what I'm doing right now. So regardless of what point you're coming from, you are an eight, which David Gray would embody as social self-pres, Sexual blind is the core of the point eight structure, and your other points are point five and point two. And point two is a sexual social type, and point five is a sexual self pres type. So that's a lot of information and it's a little heady and I'm just going to invite listeners to keep playing this, go to David Gray's site and sort of start integrating how these energies show up for you. But when we look at our points of integration and disintegration, all of the instinctual energies are there, but you can be an eight that is dominant in any of the three instinctual energies. And whether we think of it as a stack or whether we think of it as like circles that fire with different frequencies when they're needed, um, this is just yet another tool that we can use to help ourselves notice what we tend to miss. Yeah, it's interesting. As So I've got a couple of other ancillary pieces. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read it. I don't know if you've anything, ever read anything by her, but Clarissa Pinkoliestes, who's a anthropologist and a curandera and a storyteller. Don't she know wrote her. Women, Women Who Run With the Wolves okay. many, many yeah. decades ago. But anyway, she has a, I do it on audio, it's called The Power of the Crone. Mm. And she talks about the emergence or re-emergence mm. of the owning of qualities that were either sh shamed, beaten, or yes. set aside. Yes. And so when I was gifted with that framework, you know, because sometimes like the thing you need comes. <laughs> yeah. It allowed me to own, like to say, you know what? I was always polyamorous. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. I didn't just never thought about it because it was blind to me. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And I've always been highly sensual. Yeah. And I remember that from yeah. my childhood and my early sexual encounters, eating right. as sick as they were. Right. And why can't I have those? Those are life-giving to yes. me. So I have a theory. I actually think that um, sexual blind people may be more likely to be polyamorous, whereas sexual dominant people have a harder time with polyamory because they have more instinctual jealousy. So this is just a theory that I'm working on because I think that monogamy and polyamory is kind of like gender or sexuality. You know, there's a spectrum and people rarely are 100% one or 100% another. And part of our journey is to, you know, finding our way home is really knowing what our truth is about monogamy versus polyamory. What gender am I? What sexuality do I prefer? And any other modality where we recognize that there's complexity and to find ourselves or to locate ourselves to one singular spot, we know that as soon as we locate something, it's just this acknowledgement that we're using these frameworks to help us understand what we are going to give excessive attention to and what we have to remember to attend to. Exactly. Yeah. And so we all have things that we're blind to. Yeah. And how can we settle our bodies and our hearts and our minds enough to yeah. remember what we tend to forget. Yeah. Sometimes it just gets gifted to you in the funnest of forms. Right? Well, I said to somebody, I said, I don't know why, but I think the research I'm about to do is the most fun um, thing I've ever researched. <laughs> what are you going to be researching? What are you going to be? Polyamory. Oh, so polyamory is the thing now. That's so no, cool. No, it's just the fact that, you know, after a long time, you honor in the self that relation, I'm high relational. Yeah. My yeah. spirituality is Boobarian. It's the I thou of God. Yeah. Yeah. So the divine is found in, in the space between me and thee when we are open with each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's the basis. I mean, that's sexually, that's tantric, but. But I would also you know, say it's social. I would also say it's the high side of social because what I'm hearing you say is that your sexuality does not need to be confined to one person and one relationship because you have a much stronger sense of the community and what you might get from more than right. one person. And the way that you're talking about the social, the social instinct is this higher, it's the instinct of the gods. Because as you said, that dog there, he's not really worried about the social context of what he does. You know, I mean, yeah. only, you know, they're much more instinctual. This is this pre-cortex, the prefrontal cortex stuff that you were talking about, mm -hmm. where we can now not necessarily just habitually react to the instinctual drives. We right. can now enter a higher plane. And so the fact that you're vibing with polyamory in this way, I have a theory that people who are social dominant, moving to the high side of social may have an easier time being in polyamorous structures than people who are sexual dominant. I don't know if that's true, but I would love to do more episodes with you, Chris, where we can explore this because this one's gotten long and we should probably wrap up this episode. But I am, floor. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I am like so excited by this conversation and I have so much gratitude that you have been willing yeah, to and this, the, come the, on. The, this view, this lens that you've, that you've introduced me to is just like, for me, it's like, oh, like there's more nuance more to understand, more to like, I mean, owning the shadow has a lot to do with like, and you know, that blind spot piece, it's like, oh, this is the stuff that I got rid of. Yeah. And a lot of it for me is gold. It's not crud. Yeah. I had to get rid of a lot of gold to survive. And so yeah. I'm getting to re-own my golden shadow by owning what you're calling a sexual blind spot and yeah. then finding a ritualistic expression of it. So, so that beautiful. it sustains and feeds and becomes a slow fire instead of something that burns everything down. A hundred percent. And then sexual instinct are the elements of fire. And let me get this straight. Self-preservation is earth. Social is air. 
and the sexual is fire and water. So, you know, we've got to have a balance of all of these elements in order to really have our full experience as humans on this earth. Yeah, I will tell you, all of these things you said has been coming out in poetry. So yeah. I'll leave it at that. You can mix it. The fire and the water and the texture of the connection yeah. that I'm experiencing. Yeah. It's all in poetic form. And it's exactly what you just intellectually dropped. Well, and once again, that's a David Grayism. So, you know, you go. go to his Patreon page. I think you'll really like it. All right. So, Chris, you mentioned that you are a recovered addict and the substances that you had issues were where the ADHD stimulants as well as alcohol. What is your what was your experience with that? Like, what do those substances do to your personality and what substances have you also tried that have different effects on your personality? And are those good effects or harmful effects? Okay, so a couple things. I am 24 years sober, but I was beat into me that one is never recovered. Right. Every day is one day at a time, right? So that's living the spiritual principles that you've been benefited from. Yes. Now, so the choice to use THC when I first tried it, uh, it you know, I had to reconcile that. Because it's like, you're a drug addict and alcoholic. You better fucking be careful. Right. So, but... Pot was not a drug of choice for me. I enjoyed it, Mm -hmm. but it was not, it didn't change my reality enough. Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed in addiction. I needed not to feel, think, or be. Right. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that. um, And let me ask a question. My suspicion is that the ADHD medications allow you not to think, feel, or be because it gives you more energy and focus to just keep doing and doing can be a wonderful way to not actually think, not actually feel or be. Was that your experience of it? Yeah, it's a gross and miserable and horrible path. So it drives um, you, right? It just the adds to the engine. I engines. tried amphetamines. I tried them because I needed to write a paper in right. college. Right. And I eventually dropped out of college because I couldn't sit in a lab for three hours. I couldn't yeah. do any of that. Right. Um, but so they really, f- my mind would focus with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it came at a high price because yeah. the tension yeah. and all of the other things, those also happened with that drug. Absolutely. Um, and it has a very high I have a, my younger brother got out of prison, despite the fact that he's a, I mean, you know, he's not your typical guy to go to prison, but he got addicted to Oxy and uh, ended up going from an executive, a C-suite position to a state penitentiary about eight years ago. And what was he medicating, do you think? He grew up in the same house I did with the same abusive brother and the same bullshit. Yeah. Um, And my mom died. Um. And he started to go downhill from there. So what we know is that narcotics, um, they help to soothe alarmed aloneness and the activation of the panic and grief circuit. So when people have sadness that they can't work with, when they have profound grief or a sense of like disconnection from love and human connection and a support network, people are very at high risk for addiction to opioids, it seems. Yes, that was what took him down. But I've known that boy my whole life or that man my whole life. And and like me, he would make use of anything that would take him out of himself. Got it. So yeah. Oxy took him down. Yeah. But I saw him abuse cocaine, alcohol. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and but the one that takes us down, I do think leads us to the circuit that we need to recover. And that's Sarah Payton's work. So anybody that's, that's curious about what I'm talking about. That makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, what you're Sa- saying makes sense. Sarah Payton has a webinar on addiction that may be really helpful for anybody that knows that there's a substance that takes you down. Right. Yeah. Now, alcohol actually works on almost all the circuits. So that's why alcohol can be such a big problem for so many different reasons. But in, yeah. But in the point eight structure, my suspicion is that alcohol quiets the voice of shame that is associated with an unbridled eight personality that's blazing through the world. And it basically allows you to be your disinhibited self without some of the judgment and shame that's also comes with that. How does that land? Alcohol took me down. Alcohol Uh allowed me to sit in a, to go so far into five and be so dissociative. Uh Uh-huh. 
yeah. that I could stay in my own skin, at least keep my heart beating and keep my feet on the planet. Got it. And because I think also what alcohol can do when I hear you say it took me into five was that um, it's a depressant. Let's remember well, that alcohol yeah, is a that, depressant. I'm out. I'm out. I'm not participating in this. Yeah. Y'all are fucked up. You're unjust. I'm fucked up. I'm never going to f- change. And uh, I'm going to sit up in this fucking place and rot. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, care. yeah, yeah. And an unhealthy five gets yeah. schizoid and they just sit alone in a hole and rot. And alcohol can do that to any type structure, I would say. Exactly. Yeah. So that was my experience with alcohol. Plus, uh, I'll knock the, sh- like I hit people just cause I didn't like the way they looked. That yeah. was bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that was a long, much, much, much younger version of me. Of course. Uh, pre-sobriety, yeah. obviously. I am about to, I, long story short, I know a lot of people that do a lot of things and blah, 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 and UCSF and research into ketamine and psilocybins and the success rate with, uh, intransigent depression. And so what are you finding that you're going to experiment with that or you have or? Well, no, I've been talking to my therapist about it, first okay. of all. Yeah. Um, who microdoses psilocybins. I mean, you know, like uh-huh. so far under any sort of threshold. But that's not legal yet, right? Like I'm. No, I'm it not... is not. Right. Yeah, you okay. you got to go to a priestess, not right. to a doctor. Exactly. Right. Okay. Um, anyway. Um, it's a very, again, that it's not just like a psycho, it's a psycho spiritual endeavor for me. Mm-hmm. So I've spent a lot of time thinking, do I want to do this with a clinician? Right. Or do I want to do this with a, a, an intimate friend? Right. Um, and so I only in the last week landed on my preferred, like I wanted to be really mindful of it. Um, of course. So I'm going to do it with a friend, but my friend will have in her back pocket, my therapist number. Yeah. And my therapist will know when I'm going to do the journey so that she can make sure she's available. And are you going to use psilocybin or which? Yes. Because, um, I, first of all, I, the couple of times I did them when I was younger, um, I had a deep resonance with them. They worked for me. And what dose are you going to use? Do you have any idea? You know, the, the dose therapeutic dosing is usually two grams mm-hmm. for this, not for mm-hmm. microdosing, but for the, you know, you actually like, and who told you, you know, that the therapeutic dosing is two grams? Like where I'm are you getting researcher. that from? That's what I'm the a very, that's very what good the, researcher. So, cause what I've heard is that you can do a therapeutic dose. I've heard anywhere people have done between one and seven grams is what I have heard. I, yes, I, I've heard those things and maybe it's adjusted for weight. Okay. Um, but I would, yeah, I'm going to do three because I have an average tolerance. I have a high positive vibrational thing with psilocybins that I did. I mean, I tried peyote once. Right. So I have a question though. Why wouldn't you start with like one and then the next time do two and then the next time do three or like, do you know what I mean? Like why, why three? I'm just playing with you. Like why? Well, so there's a four is considered what they call a heroic dose. Okay. So five and six and seven might be ultra heroic. I've never heard of even experienced people I talking about. So I know yeah, people well, It's that, not yeah. something, you know, I haven't right. read the, you know, whatever's. Well, it's not it's data. Not, it's not data. It's just what people have done. Exactly. <laughs> well, the data, the, the data for therapeutic right. dose is just two to three grams. Okay. Um, and I'm just doing the whole little, like, just because that's the data, how do we know that that's the right dose? You know, I'm just playing. I'm just being curious. Yeah, and so I know what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is the weakening to the point of malleability of the ego structure. I'm, I'm making you put words to what you know in your belly so that my head can understand it. Right. Well, so what I, so yeah, totally. I don't mind at all. So I consider my own average usage. I consider, I contemplate or factor in the purposes to weaken the, the ego structure so that healing can take place. Yeah. That, um, so. And why not ketamine, MDMA, LSD, or ayahuasca? Like, why are you doing psilocybin instead of any of those others? So I would only take something that grew. First of all, I mean, I take it. I don't, I'm not like that kind of person. Right. But not ayahuasca, only would it only though. Be psilocybin, it uh-huh. would. I only want outdoor grown psilocybin. <laughs> okay, but ayahuasca so it, would fit that category, right? 
Well, here's the thing. The mushroom network on the planet Earth is the single largest living network. Oh. You know what that means? No. I, but in terms of Gaia, yeah. I mean, and again, I have a shamanic sense of things. Right. That's so the idea that the thing that is that just got picked for me in Colorado a couple of days ago, this is yeah. the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and is being sent to me. Yeah. Um, that was grown on the planet and the planet communicates with the rest of the planet and 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 mushrooms are the largest single network of information on planet earth wow that matters to me spiritually so i don't want them grown in a lab even though they can control for more things right the fact that they are grown in the ground matters how do you get them me. are you ordering online or what are you how are you um, connecting I'm with really this lucky actually i have uh, when i first learned about this i had a friend of a congregant who had already done the research yeah. and was microdosing. And so um, she, for her purposes, you know, she microdoses, it's four days on, three days off. Right. It has to be pretty reliable. Yeah. So um, I got connected with the person that she gets her therapeutics from. Well, if you'd be willing to connect me, I'd be interested in that resource as well. I can do that. Yeah. Uh, there are like four different kinds of, I can take that offline for you. There are like Perfect. four different kinds available apparently yep. right now. But yep. anyway, so. And I'm going to be probably, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm considering how it's grown. I'm considering my own historical tolerance levels. I'm considering yeah. the strength of my ego. I'm considering why my therapist suggests that I do this. Yeah. And it's to begin to heal the ancestral trauma. Yes. Yes. Which yes. my mother my mother was 38 when she had me, and so she was 12 when the Japanese took occupation of Manila during World War II. Yeah. And she lived through an occupation. Yeah. Um, and all manner of degradation, rape, uh, yeah. bad stuff that yeah. she didn't talk about. Yeah. I had to research to understand what she had been through. Right. So there's that. And then plus generations. There's been no generation on my mom's side that stayed in the same place for more than same country for more than two generations in 15 generations. What type do you think your mom is or was? She's dead is she now. Living? Yeah. Um, what type is mostly associate, most closely associated with a Leo personality? Mm. You don't think she's an eight? I don't know that she had the justice thrust, but mm. I think body. But only so healthy eights have a justice thrust. Only healthy eights have a justice thrust. I've always thrust. had a justice thrust. Well, but you were maybe- probably born healthier. Well, I think I had a call to ministry at nine. Yeah. So, so I'm just saying, like, you know, when we say yeah, you're an I think, old soul. I think like, body, I think body set the types, whether head, heart, or gut, I think those run in families because I think you can closely associate those with tendencies of the nervous system. Yeah. She sounds, I agree with you. And she sounds like a less healthy eight. You know, when you say that, it could be true because some of the funniest things about my mother were the incredible ways she could nurse resentments. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, okay, now when I'm thinking about that nursing resentments, um, give me an example of something she was resentful of. Macy's department store screwed up my sister's bridal register in 1976. And she walked into the local store, cut that fucking credit card in half and threw it in the manager's face. Okay. So do you know what? She could also be a one because ones are also of the body center. So you would have inherited that same instinctual energy and ones get really hung up on right and wrong. And their passion is wrath. And they can be some of the most resentful, angry people on the planet. Okay. The wrath piece. So when uh, there's a funny story, like there's a nine year, there's seven of us originally five and then two nine year gap in the middle. Yeah. Okay. There's a story of the little boys across the street from my grandmother's house in Snyder, Texas, yeah. taking a pair of scissors to two of my sister's bangs. Yeah. Now my mother did not joke that off. My yeah. mother did not report that to the parents of the other of the boys. Yeah. My mother walked across the street with a pair of fucking scissors. Yeah. And when she saw them little sons of bitches, she hacked their hair off. Yeah. And that's an adult. Yeah. So that's, um, I would say, <laughs> the classic eye for an eye mentality. Ooh, like, yeah. Yeah. Like you did this and now I'm going to do it to you because mm. I want you to feel the pain of this suffering. Yeah, just leveling the, for her, it was just might makes right in this moment because 
They, you know, it had to be rectified. It was appealing to her sense of fairness. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't about yeah. justice. You said, right. you said she, but I mean, cause you said she didn't have the same justice streak, but that sounds like, like avenging. That sounds yeah, like a justice I streak. I was more thinking of as she got older, my, yeah. the things that she modeled were not like they were like, I started doing service work with my mother when I, when I was old enough to go to the cafe, to the Meals on Wheels with her. Okay. There's never been a period in my life after that for more than two years where I wasn't volunteering. Okay. And so what my mother instilled was serving. And now okay. she had weird ideas. She said that she was assuring her seat at the right hand of the father. But whatever. That's what yeah. she did. And she taught right. that's a beautiful in- inheritance for me. Yeah. Um, she was very vain. Um, mm-hmm. to the point of narcissistic. But okay. when you think about what interrupted her childhood, how do you, like, what is there but compassion? Uh-huh. Um, she was, because World War II broke, broke out, um, she was unable to complete her education. And I don't think she ever felt good about that. And so she did crossword puzzles, played bridge, uh, poker, solitaire. She did a lot of things to, I think that, that most of the crossword puzzles were her way of keeping herself growing. but. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking she's a three. And the reason I'm thinking she's a three is because you said she was vain. Ones are not vain. They don't give a shit about, you know, their vanity at all. And threes, um, you know, vainglory is the passion of three. And threes like to be busy and they like to keep doing and they're very emotional. So when their sense of what they want the world to look like is interfered with, they get emotional and they do dramatic things and cutting off somebody's bangs sounds pretty dramatic and reactive. So the other thing that we might consider is that she could also have been a social six because sixes also are part of emotional reactivity. So I actually, I'm going to pause. I don't, I'm going to erase what I just said. I think that Threes are very emotional, but they're actually part of the competency triad. They tend to be logical, practical to get to the goal. It sounds like your mom was a little bit more emotionally reactive. So I might actually flip into social six because that's also a super well, ego type. Well, the thing is, is it her typing or is it trauma? Well, because they're all trauma. They're well, every happens, type is happened, trauma. Let me tell you what happened to the little girl that was yeah. my mother. Yeah, yeah, her yeah. oldest brother, oldest, she had two brothers. Her oldest brother went off to serve. Yeah. Right. And so her father was put in an internment camp. Okay. And she and her mother progressively sold off everything in order to, they ended up by the end of the war, they were eating seaweed. Yeah. And so, um, and the Japanese soldiers had no honor. They had honor within their own ethnocentric groups, but they rape, pillage and plunder. And I've seen pictures of my mother. Yeah. I know what she looked like. Right. Yeah. And so I that, know what kind of mouth she's got. Yeah. I bet I'm a, I, I bet sexual six. I'm now thinking sexual six. I will tell you one story about my mother. Yeah. Um, they, uh, the Japanese went through this thing, you know, she was like many smoked from teenage years on. Yeah. And there was some kind of thing in the, uh, like the, where the Japanese soldiers would like you know, just ag- be aggressive if the locals flicked their cigarette on the ground. I mean, just yeah. the ash. Right. So my, I remember the story of my mother, you know, telling me that she looked the Japanese soldier dead in the eye, stuck her own tongue out, and flicked the fucking ash in her own mouth. So that's that's counterphobic six behavior because it's also anti-authoritarian. It's like you may be the boss, but fuck you. Well, yeah, and she was a dedicated Catholic her own way. Yeah, she she said that there's no papal infallibility. No man I've ever met is infallible. Right. Okay. Um, That's sounding so social. She was very re- in that sense, she was she was pushy in many areas of her life. Yes. Yeah. 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 And she sounds like she had easy access to anger. Part of the trauma of my childhood was ducking iced tea glasses. Yeah. Yeah. She sounds like a counterphobic six that yeah had issues with reactivity. Mm-hmm. And, I do not know. She was an mate. You know, when you when you've done enough healing and you get to step back, you see your parents as like what they went through, how they became who they were, what their yeah. challenges, how strong they must have been to do this, this, or this. Absolutely. I mean, you just get mature enough to see your parents as people, 
Uh-huh. So I've never, after the therapeutic work, I've just learned to like just shake my head at what was hard uh, yeah. because I've healed most of it yeah. and to really appreciate the genuinely, I mean, she was silly. Mama was so silly and I'm yeah. so silly. People were like, I cannot, you are the silliest human I've ever met. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so like I learned to do that with both my parents. My father was smart and dry. I love that. And yeah. You know, so you learn to like allow what you've inherited that you want to keep and hand off. Yeah. And the rest of it's just got to be cleaned out. And I'm curious, what what were you just smoking? Is that? Oh, that was just my regular. Um, I quit smoking cigarettes about six or seven years ago. Yeah. And the way that I I did a bunch of research, so I'm really careful about what's in here. Uh-huh. I know the, what the, is all it? the stuff. But anyway, it's, it's nicotine? zero nicotine. Got that's it. a pacifier. There's yeah. no... There's no chemical in it anymore. So what is, oh, there's no nicotine in it at all? No, not anymore. I used it to step down. Got it. And what is it in case listeners would want to get that for themselves if they have a nicotine issue? Yeah. So the thing that I would say is if you're, I followed somebody's directions doing this. Uh Okay. I start, it says if you smoke this much, first of all, you got to, don't get crappy, cheap stuff. What is it called though? What you have there? Huh? What is that called that you have there? It's just a vape. It's a vape stick. A vape stick. Got it. But it has nothing in it anymore. It has, it's it. just basically, it's a pacifier. I'm right. high oral. Right. And um, I tried to quit smoking for many, many, many years. and never could. Yeah. And then using this, I got away from the the tar and the yeah. irritation producing. And then every six months, I reduced the on recommendation of a friend who would yeah. quit the same way. I stepped down the nicotine level until it was at zero. That's amazing. Um, Have you ever heard of the app Craving to Quit? I have not. Okay, well, if you wanted to do some field research for me, I would love it if you downloaded that app and did the 21-day program. And if you wanted to come to the class that I teach on Zoom on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7 for everybody trying to use these modalities to get over the... Um, habitual part of it, which is why it seems like you still use that. And like, maybe you don't care about that. I'm not saying it's a problem that you do, but like you said, it's a pacifier. And I think like, as we continue to grow, we start letting go of the pacifiers because we just don't need them anymore. Uh, And all I've really managed to do is transfer pacifiers. Right. I I got it down to where it wasn't as harmful, but then it was like, I tried giving up this and I took up those tea tree toothpicks and my tongue got blisters on it. Right. I mean, I've done sunflower. I can do anything. I always have three drinks. I got, I got water, I got coffee and a bubbly water. I'm very, very orally fixated. So, so um, I would love you to do craving to quit just to use that modality to work with this longing to have something in your mouth. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. I'd be so curious just to see, you know, if it loosened your preference for having all of these things that you put in your mouth. Not that it's a problem. You have very healthy things you're putting in your mouth, but it's still a, a habitual self-soothing behavior. It is a habitual self-soothing behavior. And the only the success that I've had with it is to get it to a level where I no longer shame myself. About yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not naming um, this because there is any shame. I'm just noticing no, how aware no. you are. And it, yeah, I'd I'm love to hear your experience. I'm just showing my very eight pragmatist approach. Right. Not only are you physically deterring from yourself, but you are deterring from yourself by shaming yourself for doing a thing you know you shouldn't be doing whilst committing to stay on the planet as long as you have for your child. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I love it. Um, so it was like, you know, so yeah, for me to let myself off the hook and to prioritize. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. I have three kinds of PTSD right now. Oh, yeah. I probably should be okay with that for six months. Well, and if you it? don't want to do the oh, program, and like, cancer. yeah, breast cancer. we didn't even talk about your breast cancer. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Do you mind if I ask? Um, are you needing chemotherapy or um, radiation? I don't have to do. Okay, so here's where I'm at in the process. I found the lump, random breast exam. And actually, I don't do official breast exams, but I sew carefully once a week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I uh, found a lump, went to my doctor. Anyway, I found it. In, it was half the size that this type is normally found at. Yeah. It's a mucosal, which comes from the same genetic marker as colon cancer, which is what my mother died of. Yeah. 
it is, I'm really lucky. That's I'm awesome. so fortunate. So you don't need um, chemotherapy or radiation. Chemo is not a part of the treatment regimen yeah. for this ever. It, up until very recently, it's surgical. Okay. And um, you've had your surgery? However, UT Southwestern is doing a study on postmenopausal women uh-huh. because what they're finding for all women in breast cancer is if they do spot radiation, yeah. pre-lumpectomy, yeah. that um, it is wildly beneficial. Oh, that's so, great. But they have to prove it in every population uh, population because that's what science is. Yeah. Um, so right now at UT Southwestern, the Breast Institute, yeah, they're doing a study on postmenopausal women and three to six week, very focused radiation pre-lumpectomy. Okay. Now, I just had a stereotactic biopsy yeah. because the originals revealed some scatter on the right side mm-hmm. that was 50-50 stage zero versus fibrous breakdown. Mm-hmm. So I had the stereotactic biopsy Thursday mm-hmm. and they called me Friday and said, your right side's cancer free, which That's is amazing. one step closer to a lumpectomy. Now here's the last piece. Because if that was stage zero, I was yeah. just going to have a mastectomy. Right. It's like, I got a kid to raise. I can't do this. I can't I watch it. this for this closely. Right. So anyway, those are negative. Um, because, And I'm really glad because it didn't really occur to me that you lost sensory. And I, as a person in my body, yeah, imagine that I can't feel part of me. Of course. causing panic. Yeah. I mean, I got online and started researching um, sense-preserving mastectomies anyway so that side is negative um they have to do an mri at the um beginning of next week because my dense breast tissue and they want to make sure there's nothing hidden yeah and if there is nothing hidden i get to keep all my shit and they're just going to take that so i don't lose i mean because you know i'm coming into my oddly it was revealed to me about five years ago that I was going to experience maiden mother and crone in my crone years. Yeah. Well, so what? even then I was like, what does that even mean? Well, part of what it means is that like my libido and my ability to act on it is better and yeah. healthier than it's ever been. That's amazing. And so I, the thought just in terms of being kind to myself. Yeah. The thought of having, even with reconstruction, no sensation that's, that feels terrible. I, I didn't you. want that. And of so um, it forced me to actually look at how mature my first perception was actually, mm. uh, because I thought strictly of my daughter and yeah. that is not what I, I'm trying to learn to love thy neighbor as thyself. Right. I hadn't thought about myself. I just went to what's pragmatic, most pragmatic to be a mother. By the way, um, that is social dominant when we think of our children first. Is it? Yeah. But you've now discovered your blind spot and the beauty of the sexual instinct, which is why you've now also been able to make sexual as important as social. Well, and to reclaim it as my birthright to joy. Yes, yes. 100% yes. I love it. No, I mean, I just, there came a point during the pandemic where I, I had to say, you know, I just had to say, you have done well, good servant. Yes. You have made 25 years of amends yes. and done 20 something years of recovery and therapy. And at what point are you going to stop trying to earn it? You oh, know? I love that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I plan to coast on off the planet, say 25, 30 or 40 years from now. Yeah. Having fully integrated my sexual blind spot. Wow, that is so beautiful. As we end, Chris, can I share a poem with you that I think would really resonate with you? It's called Kindness by Mary Oliver. Do you know this poem? I'm a great lover of Mary Oliver. So as I heard you say that, Chris, this poem by Mary Oliver called Wild Geese came to mind. And yeah, I'd just like to end with these words. Um, hmm. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun 
and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. That's so beautiful. Mm. Well, Uh, you're so beautiful. You're so sweet. Thank you so much for opening yourself up to this conversation, Chris. I hope we get to do it again. Always. It was fun, friend. Have a good day. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at enneagramblindspots.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice while SNSMD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.